Shana Tova. Across the world tonight, after millions of Jews have finished their Rosh Hashanah dinners, many of them will break into song. Some might, in fact, be singing at this exact moment. Now, whether or not we typically do this, we know that the custom is to pray Birkat Hamazon after each meal, at least part of which, part of which people sing. And given that it's Rosh Hashanah, those who do will start with an additional insert for Shabbat and holidays. Shir hamalot b'shuv Adonai et shivat Sion hayinu kecholmim. That familiar verse from Psalm 126. When God returns the fortunes of Zion, we see it as if in a dream. This one verse will set the stage for these days of awe with a text that speaks of our return, our tshuva, as related to our dreaming up something better than we've ever seen before. Hazorim bedima barina yiktsoru, the psalm goes on to say. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy, which may in fact be the greatest dream of all. Most likely these words will go unnoticed as a rote part of the liturgy. But this year I can think of no better wish or intention when so many of us are struggling to dream or to imagine how the coming year will actually be new or any different from the stresses of the last. I've been thinking lately of the Yiddish phrase, Lomer Haran Gutebisaurus, which translates roughly to, let's hear something good for a change. And I would guess from your early laughter that some of us can relate to that desire, approaching another year and an election season, bracing ourselves for all kinds of crushing news to compound the agita that we already feel. What are you gonna talk about this year, Rabbi? Someone recently asked. You gonna talk about climate change or the fragility of reproductive rights? How about the decline of democracy or you know what he said? Inflation. <laughs> Not controversial, it's on everybody's minds, go with inflation. And I was like, doctor, I'm just here for a physical. <laughs> Everywhere we turn, there are so many reminders of what isn't going well. And we often feel at a loss for some new way to approach ongoing problems, aware of what hasn't worked, anxious that things might only get worse. And yet, it's Rosh Hashanah. It's not a time to assume that we know exactly how this year will unfold. It's time to return to dreaming. Beshuv Adonai, the psalmist writes, when we return, we will see it as if we are dreamers. Beshuv Adonai, the language cues us to think of tshuva, return, repentance, what we know we're all here to do this next week and a half. But what about the dreaming? Our returning is only as good as our ability to imagine ourselves as something other than what we've been. Whether that's a better version of ourselves or of our world, new relationships with others or with God. You can't do the work of repairing or repenting without also imagining that a different way is possible. So how do we do that? How do we get back to dreaming? To dream is to flex a muscle that many of us don't get to use all that much. 
It's something we do only occasionally, as if imagination is somehow separate from real life. We've got so much to do that we allow ourselves to dream only when we are asleep. But there are people who spend each day imagining, awake for it all no less, whose example might help, help us do the same with some regularity. Namely, artists, creators, people who look at the world and use any medium at their fingertips to dream up the world as it should be, the many worlds to come. Artists are people who create things that live in the world not just as extensions of themselves, but as expressions of themselves, to live beyond them and to advance humanity by presenting a new possibility. And it's somewhere in the artistic process that I want to locate all of us this evening and suggest to you that by being here, or rather being here, and really being here, and going through this service, this can also be a creative act, which hopefully will remind us how to dream. Some of you know that four years ago, CBE commissioned a new play with an off-Broadway theater in Manhattan. That play, called The Get, interrogates classical Jewish themes around divorce, and it will be produced this November at Rattlestick Theater. You can mark your calendars now. But you might ask, what's a synagogue doing commissioning a play? You may also know that for the past five years, we've sponsored a program called the New Jewish Culture Fellowship, a yearly interdisciplinary cohort of artists who gather to study Jewish texts and create new works of culture for the public. A recent Art Forum article praised NJCF as good news for a Jewish futurity where assimilation and exclusion have no quarter. But again, you might ask, isn't that the role of museums and theaters? Why would we do that with our synagogue? And the answer is that most, or as most, Jewish institutions shrug a vault about the future. Artists are at the vanguard of building it, and we want to be part of that. In my work with the New Jewish Culture Fellowship, I've had the privilege of collaborating with a creative director named Maya Ip, who as part of an NYU think tank focused on the Jewish future, wrote an article called Kaddish for an Unborn Avant-Garde. Its title alone is a searing critique of how the organized Jewish community has historically not prioritized serious art. And in that piece she writes, the desire to awaken is the heart of artistic tradition. And one could argue it's at the heart of religious practice. Making art, like Jewish observance, is premised on the belief that a careful attention to process itself is necessary to imagine and ultimately reach an unknown but desired outcome. In other words, art making is another version of what we're all here to do tonight and during these 10 days especially, but perhaps also what we're doing when we practice Judaism in general. Reaching into the unknown of ourselves in pursuit of something new and whole and beautiful. Art and culture in communal Jewish life are sometimes seen as accessory to the real work of Jewish living. Something cute perhaps, or a program to get people in the door. But engaging with art can be constitutive of what it means to be a Jew. And advancing art is essential when we desperately need new ideas and new expressions in a spiritual landscape that often feels antiquated or remote to us. 
Many of us call ourselves cultural Jews, but we usually describe ourselves this way to convey that we're not that religious. We presume a false dichotomy between culture and religion, when in fact the two go hand in hand. I'll remind you that cult and culture come from the same Latin root, which is to say that they both have something to do with cultivation. You may not have thought that you're here tonight to throw yourself into an artistic process, but perhaps that's exactly what this service is, and indeed what tshuva is. Returning to a lineage, grappling with our present, performing a ritual, and ultimately unlocking a dream. A return through which we can create something better than what we knew before. Tfilah, tshuva, and art all seem to follow this exact same rhythm. As Jews, we inherit an ambivalence around art. Officially, according to the Shulchan Aruch, art is a gateway drug to idol worship. We're prohibited from creating any image of a human being that is complete, the rabbis explain, although busts are okay somehow, do with that what you will. And even, even silhouettes on coins make the Talmudic sages uneasy. Because representations of things other than they appear in the world as it is can be dangerous. Only God can create life in the classical imagination. And how dare human beings try to play God by creating a new world of their own? For this reason, Judaism doesn't offer us the robust aesthetic tradition that we might find in, say, ornate Catholic churches or iconography. We are iconoclasts theologically, and we like to imagine that God alone creates. Kihine kachomer beyad hayotzer will pray on Yom Kippur, like clay in the hands of the potter. Ken anachnu biadcha chesed notzer. So too are we in your hand, merciful creator. We are the clay, never the potter, the machzor says. And yet, did you catch the rhyme in that poetic text? It's there, you can go back and find it later. The poet is teasing those of us who think that art is anathema to Judaism, as the text the Python created was itself a form of art. And for that matter, the reason why that metaphor is so potent at this season is that we are potters. The pew invites us at the beginning of Yom Kippur to be the craftspeople of our own lives, reflecting on how we might draw out new meaning in the year to come. And if we look closely, the machzor is filled with artwork of the written word, our most famous obsession as Jews, that begs us to be artists with our lives. When we engage with the prayer book in any manner other than simply looking at it, we can choose to see ourselves the way that artists do, drawing out something new and seeing ourselves differently because of it. Each time we come to these words, even if we don't know what they mean, we're drawing out some new part of ourselves in hopes of being changed. When we pray, and when we perform a ritual of any kind, we give shape to something within us that's otherwise kind of hard to express. Ritual is a conscious assertion of the self. That's something my therapist told me, actually, but we're going to say that again. Ritual is a conscious assertion of the self. And I think what she means is that it's language for parts of our interior lives that we don't otherwise know how to get out. 
At its best, then, seriously performing a ritual is an artistic practice. What we've already begun doing tonight is a process of making art out of our lives. And like every artwork, it takes a lot of work. You can go to a pottery studio once and make a thing, and with luck, it might look recognizable. But only by practicing day after day might you acquire the skills to fashion something that looks like what your insides are demanding you to let out. And so too, by fully and routinely engaging with the book that's still in many of your hands, meditating on the shapes of the letters perhaps, or delighting in the sounds of foreign words, all the more so seeing something new in the translation. You can begin to express something deep within you that was somewhere beyond your typical comprehension. You begin to start dreaming. Almost exactly a century ago, in 1923, Martin Buber reflected on the practices of Jews in Germany, which, frankly, weren't so different from our own. He observed that one-time radical reforms had become orthodoxies, and that regardless of how they define themselves denominationally, many Jews struggle to tap into something real in their synagogue experience. But in his mind, no matter the movement, going through the motions of Jewish observance was not enough. He wrote, religiosity is a person's longing to establish a living communion with the unconditioned, his will to realize the unconditioned through his action, transposing it into the world of humans. Buber argues that the point of spirituality is not just to get through a service and check a mitzvah off your list, but to use this prayer book and these funky rituals of the holidays to find some unconditioned, unrefined, uninterrogated part of ourselves and to release it in a way that changes us and changes our world. This is the heart of ritual as it is of art making. It feels kind of odd, I must admit, to be telling a room filled with New York Jews that they should care more about the arts. It seems sort of obvious. But what I'm asking here is that we redefine for ourselves how art operates in our lives, both as Jews and as human beings, to celebrate art in hopes of thinking differently when we feel stuck to realize that culture emerges wherever we cultivate ourselves, even in our recitation of old prayers, if we allow ourselves to see it as such. And if the idea of approaching God feels too scary or somehow alien to you during these holidays, perhaps the framing of tshuva, or prayer, as an artistic process is a way for you to let yourself into these holidays anew. A Hasidic sage known as the Spat Emet taught that the new year is called Rosh Hashanah, head of the year, because it's the moment when life appears in the world as if it were an idea, but it has not yet differentiated its form. There is energy under the rule of time and nature, he says, but on Rosh Hashanah, that energy does not yet have material shape. It exists for a moment fully in our heads, and it's our work over the course of the year to craft it to form the year from the raw materials that God gives us, to be artists, following our yearnings and dreams. It's for this reason, among others, that our CBE clergy team understands culture as a pillar of Judaism, alongside ritual and justice. It's a devotion to all three that pushes us to co-create with you a thriving 21st century synagogue 
in this space and soon enough in what we go on to create in our Union Temple House. These three things, culture, ritual, and justice, feed into one another, and in some respects, can't exist without each other, in large part because all three of them flow from dreams, in turn allowing further dreams to develop. Whether in our Jewish lives or in our personal or political lives, we deserve the chance to dream new ways to shape our energy. And if we feel that there are only a few ways forward, facing big national crises or approaching impasses in our relationships, we can return to this familiar text, this technology of dreams, and seeing ourselves as artists, we can give in to wherever the ritual takes us, especially on Rosh Hashanah. Chances are that only a handful of us will actually say Birkat Hamazon tonight after our meals. That's okay, no judgment. Some of us already probably finished eating anyway. But it is likely that you will practice or perform other rituals between now and the end of Yom Kippur during these 10 days of tshuva. May these rituals help us release something deep and unexpected. May it be a generative artistic process of returning. And above all, may it be a return to dreaming. Shana Tovah.